To start off, we're joined by our panel for the first hour to discuss some of this morning's stories in this morning's newspapers. Now, it, the panel, it will always have three people and it won't always be politicians, but I have a few things I need to get off my chest. So, this week I've invited former independent TD for Wicklow and then the last time I knew him, he was one of the founders and co-leaders of the Social Democrats. Well, he's, he looks completely different. Now, I didn't recognise him because he's hitched up his uh, tackle and tent with Fianna Fáil and is their spoke person on Brexit, Stephen Donnelly. Good morning to you. Beside him, uh, representing the government and, of course, uh, representing the Cabinet, uh, the Fine Gael TD from Meath East, appointed Chief Whip for Fine Gael, Minister of State of the Department Taoiseach, Regina Doherty. A very, uh, very nice to have you on the show. And on the other side of the table, opposing this so-called confidence and supply arrangement, New politics, my ass. Uh, he's the TD for Sinn Féin for Meath West, spokesperson on regional development, rural affairs, arts and the Gale talked. Padder Tobin, you're very welcome. Now let's just flick through some of the Sunday papers. It's all basically about two stories, the Garda and the Brexit. Uh, the Sunday Independent goes with a political angle on the uh, their lead. Garda chief safe as FF desperate to avoid election. This story says that the Fianna Fáil front bench were warned that there would be a domino effect if, um, o- uh, if O'Sullivan was axed. Essentially, that would lead to a vote of no confidence in Francis Fitzgerald as Justice Minister, which would lead to a general election. And that Fianna Fáil are pulling back uh, from that. The other Garda angle is on the front page of the Sunday Times. We've heard problems with the Garda statistics over road traffic, murder, and now Garda domestic violence figures under spotlight. Women's Aid Ireland have said they don't believe the 2016 Garda figures showing 6,000 incidents of the Republic, whereby the PSNI recorded nearly 29,000 incidents in Northern Ireland with a smaller population. The male Garda angle is an internal memo uh, issued by Garda management on Friday. Uh, force phase, uh, Force facing losing its name O'Sullivan issues trenchant memo Guard achieves 646 words to save her skin and there is oceans of coverage on Brexit and the lead on the Sunday Business Post is Brexit files government fears exodus of Irish firms and jobs to Britain. This is saying that companies here whose main business is in Britain will actually set up a base in Britain and that there will be a jobs exodus. Uh, The Sunday Independent has the rich list um, 2017, the 300 wealthiest people and there's a Brexit survival guide in the Sunday Business Post. You're all most most welcome. Uh, let's let's start with the with the guard stuff, uh, Stephen. Uh, it, it's expected, I think, the week after next that Sinn Fein's motion of no confidence in the Garda commissioner uh, will be will be before the Dáil and to be voted on. Both your leader and your justice spokesman Jim O'Callaghan expressly stated they hadn't confidence in Noreen O'Sullivan. If you don't have confidence in her, how can you vote? Differently, well, we haven't decided how we're going to vote, Ivan. And the the, the report on the fr- front bench being briefed. I'm on the front bench. Uh, we weren't briefed. There ha- has been no conversation about election. We've been dealing with this issue uh, as it emerges. Jim O'Callaghan has taken a very strong position on this. He's taken a leadership position on this. Uh, we don't have confidence in the commissioner. Uh, that is a clear call for the conf- for the commissioner to consider her position. The Sinn Féin motion will be before the House in a few weeks' time. Uh, 
it would be an unprecedented move for Dáil Éireann to directly interfere in policing matters at this level. The person with responsibility under the law to decide whether or not the Garda Commissioner should stay or go is the Minister for Justice with the support of the Cabinet. The policing authority under the law can make a recommendation as to whether or not the Commissioner should go. Uh, we would prefer the matter to be dealt with outside the Dáil. And indeed, the Corla Ivan, as I'm sure you know, is actually seeking legal advice as to whether or not such a motion can be put before the door, the doll. So Fianna Fáil's position is very clear on this. We it's do, not clear. It is, well, no, well, it's not clear to me. I mean, well, well, it, let me there's not an element you. of the story in the Sunday Independent is very clear. You don't have confidence in her. The dogs in the street don't have confidence in garden management, but you don't want to precipitate an election. Isn't this part of the sham that you're not in government, you're not in opposition, you're somewhere in between, and on an issue like this, you're caught like rabbits in front of a headlight? No, not at all. The Fianna Fáil position is very clear and if, if you don't understand it, I'll explain it to you. Fianna Fáil doesn't have confidence in the Commissioner. We have said that publicly. Micheál Martin has said it, Jim O'Callaghan has said it. I'm saying it. Um, we think the Commissioner should consider her position. We certainly wanted to see what happened at the Oireachtas Committee last week. We were not satisfied that uh, answer, the questions were answered. We still don't know how nearly a million uh, false drink driving uh, breathalyzer things ar- arrived on the system. We still don't know how 14,700 people ended up with uh, false convictions. Fianna Fáil's position is absolutely clear. We do not have confidence. There is no motion before the House. We be- we have called on okay, the, well, on the Commissioner let, let, to, to consider her Pater, position. Pater, what is the story about the motion? There when will a, this come to the floor of the doll? There is a motion before the House and I understand just, just due to the fact that there is a, a rhythm with regards to which parties get to put in uh, There's a roster. A roster, exactly. And and therefore, it's either going to be this Wednesday uh, that I understand that it's going to be brought before the doll. But like Stephen has said that the... the so 8.30 this Wednesday night there'll be a vote. Well, the vote usually is on the, on the oh, Thursday. Oh, right. It's, it's a change from my day. It has yeah, referred right. to okay. a thurs- Thursday now, so okay. but Thursday half one. Okay. But but like <laughs> the like sh- the fact that Stephen says that the commissioner should consider her position. That's code for the decision. That the the, uh, the commissioner should make the decision herself to leave. The truth of the matter is, Fianna Fáil are Fianna Gael's partners in government, and for the uh, edifice of government to survive, Fianna Fáil are snookered and have to maintain uh, a, neutra- a neutrality in the Dáil on this particular issue. But there can't be no neutrality. It's, it's amazing that there are three political parties sitting around here, and none of us have any confidence no, in no. any stats that come well, out from the, from, 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 okay. from the Gardaí whatsoever at the moment. And that has significant um, outcomes from people serving on juries to policymakers, people can't believe what's coming from the Guardian. Okay, uh, Regina, I actually infer something else that you do have confidence in Noreen O'Sullivan. How can you conceivably do so? Um, I do have confidence in her abilities. Um, I was actually just going to contradict um, Pallet there until he actually I let him finish, um, because he is right. So let's separate it for a second. Um, we had an international uh, competition for the commissioner's job. She won that position by a country mile, and the next person you know, ahead of her wasn't an Irish person, it was an international uh, candidate. She is by far an outstanding, uh, the the most qualified person to be in the role that she is in at the moment. Now, that's notwithstanding. And I know her capabilities. I think she's an absolutely super policewoman. Um, She has years of, you know, really determined dogged service in our our police force. And I actually genuinely think that she has at the heart of what she's trying to do um, a reform 
methodology and, and, and a plan, right? Now, put that over there for a second, because notwithstanding that I do have confidence in her, um, there are some real, real issues. Because Pat is right, there's nobody in the country has confidence in the stats that's coming out um, of Angarda Shia Khan at the moment. Last weekend's revelations, for the first time, we've had scandal after scandal in the Gardaí, and each of them probably contained... Um, in the general public's eye to parochial areas and, you know, it was a bad apple here or a bad apple there. Right now we have the systematic um, falsifying of records on a, a humongous scale, not only of um, MATs. And actually, we but don't you have... See, the, the point is this. What you're really saying is we all know that. Yep. Who is going to be accountable for well, that? That's the point. Who right? is going to account? That's the point. We have to find out, first of all. And that's why when we talk about having confidence in the commissioner, it genuinely is qualified insofar as that there are huge amounts of questions we don't have answers to. Let's take a listen to to the Commissioner, Noreen O'Sullivan, and this is what she had to say about the statistics. The fact is that we now know some Gardaí recorded numbers that were exaggerated. At worst, this was deception, and at best, was incompetence. Either way, it was individually and organisationally shameful, and it will be seen to be shameful by the public and by the thousands of Gardaí around the country who operate every single day to the highest ethical standards. It also raises serious questions of supervision and management. My fear, and the real fear, is that this, this falsification and this, these mistakes may not be confined to traffic data. I will ensure that the people responsible at all levels will be held to account. OK, let's analyse that. Mm-hmm. What you said was, this was done on purpose... This was deception. Now, I have to put it to you, to call a spade a spade, that you don't do something like that, falsify figures, for the hell of it. You don't do it for sport. And you actually probably do it for some personal gain, whether it's promotion, whether it's to make you look good or whatever. Let's call this what it is, Stephen, fraud. And bankers, you know, there's calls for bankers to be jailed for fraud. Surely this is analogous. It's it's certainly very serious. The... The words that we're getting, that I'm getting talking to Gardy is, yeah, you're right. It makes it look better if your unit or your station or whatever it is has has better and better figures. Mm. Clearly, the Gardy were under an awful lot of pressure to hit targets. It would appear, The Road Safety Authority said we want more breathalysers, we want all this, and they just hand up the figures. Well, it, it, yeah. it would appear that something <clears throat> very bad has happened. Now, is it fraud? It could be fraud. Does it need to be investigated? Yes, it does. Could it lead to disciplinary action? You would imagine so. If, could it, and, and could it potentially lead to prosecution? If you listen to yes, the words, it, yes, it could. The words of the commissioner herself. She said that everybody at all levels should be held to account. If you don't fulfil your contract of employment, you should not have employment. So that's what holding a person to account is. And you know, the minister, the commissioner herself has stated that it is absolutely unacceptable that this has happened. And the, the commissioner said she does not know how it happened and she does not know when we will know or if we will actually know the full extent to this. So in all of those levels, she must have failed her contract of employment. And the fact that the minister uh, on this issue no, is, is sitting idly by... Uh, there, there is One of the key problems here, Ivan, is, there is the government is drowning in inertia at the moment. Not only do we have a minority government unable to, to make decisions, but there is a slow-motion leadership battle on Fine Gael, which is paralysed decision making uh, in this country and it's having serious effects Can I just say uh, uh, what is the culpability of the Minister for Justice here I want to put it to you um, that in the first instance and I've been a Minister the Department of Justice is the money provider the first line of regulatory uh, oversight of the Gardaí 
back in 2014, all these issues at the time of Callan's departure were apparent. The Toland report said that the Department of Justice was dysfunctional. I put it to you, Regina, that are all these issues of courageous reform in the Department of Justice that Francis and Enda bottled it. That's not true, Ivan. And first of all, can I say, and I know this because obviously I have my legislative meeting with the drafters every week um, and I'm responsible for the passing of legislation in the House. The Department of Justice is the most productive department with regard to legislation um, by a country Did you mile. read the Toland report? By a country it said mile. It was dysfunctional. Now, okay, hold on. Notwithstanding what you've just said, the Department of Justice are the people who have overseen um, the empowerment of the inspectorate the establishment of the policing authority, the beefing up of GSOC. Now, actually, I take on board that we need probably more legislation to give more authority to the policing authority. But the guard, the reform process that has been put in place, all of them have been so um, carried on uh, under the particular Minister for Justice. Now, to be honest and to be fair, the Minister for Justice has handled this in the best way she possibly could, given the information that she has. But and she there seems is a re- to no, pick no, up things from the media. Hold on, let me finish just for one second, because I'm, I'm going to qualify that statement by saying there is a real issue here with the information that comes from Angardi. Not just the quality of the statistics that are coming out, but the information that's being uh, fed back up to the two main bodies that the Gardaí Shikona are responsible to. Number one, the policing authority, who you know and everybody knows, only got the information at the press conference last week. That is outrageous. And by the same token, exactly the same information was only given to the minister minutes beforehand. That is doubly outrageous. That shows the disrespect and disregard that the policing force in this country have. Now go back to what the the last said earlier on for a second. The minister's excuse is she didn't know. Surely that's incompetence. Well... There is an issue there, right, and it has to be fixed. But we're boiling down and we're having this conversation about, OK, let's let's call for Noreen O'Sullivan's head, let's get rid of her, and next Tuesday the world will be no, fine. It won't a, be no, fine. There is a cultural issue in Angarda Shiakana that requires every single recommendation in the inspector report from 2015 that actually relates back to recommendations uh, far back as 1990. I want to come to that. And that Noreen question, O'Sullivan is going okay. to lead that reform, okay, well, and by okay. getting rid of her and putting Ivan Yates in next week, it's not going to change the culture in Angarda well, Shiakana. Uh, let's, let's talk about, people talk about reform. What should that reform be? There's a very interesting piece by Pat Rabbit in today's, in his column in the Sunday Business mm. Post, where he says that when Labour and Fine Gael were faced with the prospect of appointing an outsider, a foreigner, uh, to the post, the reason they didn't was because the Gardaí not only have responsibility for mm. policing, but for intelligence and security. Yeah. And he's now calling for the separation of that so that actually you could have an outsider appointed. Stephen, is that something that makes sense? And secondly, what type of reforms in detail? We have 81 recommendations from the 2015 Olson report, which is really an excellent template. Yeah. What do you think needs to be done? Something different needs to be done. So. We have set up recently the Garda Inspectorate, which has produced very good work in terms of management systems and reporting lines Technology and all and of everything, that, yeah. right? The, 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 the Garda Inspectorate reports is very good. We have GSOC set up. We have the Policing Authority set up. Jim O'Callaghan tabled legislation early last week to give additional powers to the Policing Authority. On top of that, though, so do we need to beef up the supervisory mechanism on Angarda Shiakona? Yes, we do. And Jim's legislation would go some way to helping with that. On top of that, Conor Brady is a very good piece in The Times today, saying essentially the culture, culture trumps and rules. And he was on GSOC himself. So right, he has a special exactly. insight, Conor Brady. Culture yeah. trumps rules. So you can have all of the external supervisory mechanisms you want. But the cold, hard reality is that because of not just this scandal, but numerous scandals over the last few years, public confidence, and I would say to a large extent dull confidence, in 
on guard that she had well, gone to, 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 to do his job. You used to work in this drugs. kind of change of culture. How do you actually affect change amongst what is it, eight, nine thousand Gardaí? Well, there's a few different things you can do. One thing we may have to look at, and it's very sad to be to be talking like this about Angarda Shiakona <clears> with so many good people in it, but is a pattern style uh, look. It the RUC, for example, was was culturally not fit for purpose. A new for, name is that what for, you're saying? For, no, but that's not what that's not what Patton did at okay. all, as you as you know. Uh, From Car- RUC to PSNI. Well, well, yeah, but but it did an awful lot more than that. So nearly fifty percent, for example, of the new recruits into into the PSNI are, are from the nationalist community. So it has changed, and it does have much more support cross community in the north, obviously, than the RUC had. So 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 two things here. One, Connor Brady is right in that you do need to open up the middle and higher ranks to external people. The other thing you need to do is more subtle but it's really important, which is you can't do reform to organisations, right? Particularly uh, long-standing, solid organisations like Angarda Shiakona. People arriving and saying, we are going to reform you, we are going to make you jump through all the following hoops. The evidence from around the world says, you know what, it doesn't work. You can you can get okay, people to change their behaviour. Okay, I'll, ju- ju- I'll ju- it, just finish it, on it, this. It, it, you, you, you'll get people to change their behaviour for a while, but, but ultimately it goes back. You have to do reform with people. So yes, we may now need a patent style look at opening the Guardian, but, but, but what, critically, okay. you have to do reform with people. I, and you what have do to Sinn Féin we have, we have specifically? Re- we have recommendations coming out of our ears with regards to Guardian. We have so many reports. Uh, Justine McCarthy says 20 reports. Reports with recommendations, and many of those unfulfilled Phil's recommendations. So if, if there's one thing we've learned in this country, if there's a source of power with no peer, that power will corrupt. So from the churches, from the, all the different organisations, if there isn't a body that can challenge that particular power equally and evenly, well then there's going to be problems. So the policing authority needs to be strengthened radically. The commissioner needs to be responsible to the policing uh, and accountable to the, the policing authority. The policing authority is right now standing on the sidelines on, on this particular issue, crying that it hasn't got the information that it, it, it needs. The policing authority should have the ability to get that information uh, that it needs. And also, the, you'll have no change in culture if you don't have a accountability because unless a person knows as I said earlier that the job is on the line unless they, they behave properly well then you're, you're not going to have that, that change and then resources is a key issue the the, the particular uh, unit in the Gardaí that we're looking at lost 600 uh, was halved in power over a period of 8 years Noreen O'Sullivan in the actual uh, in her evidence in the committee stated herself she says that the nucleus of management was radically reduced in capacity over that 8 years and that numer- those individuals had numerous portfolios and were then unable to fulfil the responsibilities. The subtext to that was she was blaming the, the cuts in Gardaí for, for, for some of these okay, issues. Regine, okay. Two things. First of all, um, I agree with Pader. We don't need another review of the Gardaí. The, That's what the government announced? Well, the Olsen report um, of 2015, first of all, and I had to read it again this week because obviously it's a number of years since I read it, apart from the recommendations, obviously, which less than a third of them have been implemented. The most striking thing about it is a paragraph in the front opening forward that says, thanks very much, we'll do this report for you. But you know what's really striking? That had you implemented the reports from 1996 and 190 flash, we wouldn't be in the position where we're in now. Now, here we are three years later and we still haven't implemented the report. So the specifically, do you favour intelligence one. and security being taken and that, away from Number two, absolutely categorically, we've talked about this before, it is rife to do it now. We should separate the security um, and protection of that security of the state away from Angarda Shiakana and have a separate managed uh, organisation. Um, and that might be the Defence Forces that's been mooted by different white and green papers or it may be a standalone institution. And we need to go back and look and actually implement 
it isn't sufficient enough and I know it was mooted uh, by people at the uh, Oireachtas Committee this week was that the fact that we were down on resources is probably one of the reasons maybe that why we lied. We had a wholesale deception and falsification of reports on the MATs which is distinctly different than obviously maybe the, the incompetence of the fixed traffic notices. Deception is not acceptable because there's only one of me instead of what used to be three of me. Okay. If the I am able to do to my job I do this my I'm hurt. sorry but you don't lie. Well, That's what we're down what Noor, to. This is what Noreen O'Sullivan well, has I don't, said. I, ref- I totally reject in. that because that isn't a reason. If I'm used to working on a computer and today I go into work and my computer's not working, I don't suddenly become this rogue person and make up stuff just to get my work done. No. Okay. It's not okay. acceptable. We're going we're gonna to halt there on the guards. You're listening to Yates on Sunday. We're talking uh, to our panel of politicians, Regina Doherty, Stephen Donnelly and Padder Tobin. Coming up, it's time for breakfast. Sorry, no, I mean Brexit. Breakfast, Brexit. We'll be discussing what Brexit really means. Brexit means Brexit. 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 I think the Honourable Gentleman first of all should just accept that Brexit means Brexit. So, yes, Brexit means Brexit. Brexit means uh, Brexit. So if Brexit means breakfast in the UK, then it means Brexit, not breakfast. On Brexit, you will say that Brexit means breakfast. Brexit means breakfast. The government is hurtling towards a chaotic breakfast that will damage our economy. Mark my words, we will make breakfast a success. To help secure future for post-breakfast, post-Brexit reality. So in closing, I'd simply say this, Brexit means Brexit. So is everyone clear about what Brexit means then? Breakfast. Welcome back to Yates on Sunday. We have in studio Regina Doherty, Government Chief Whip, Stephen Donnelly, Brexit spokesman for Fianna Fáil, and Padder Tobin, uh, who's got so many titles to his spokesmanship, I can't read them out. Um, we want to talk about Brexit. Uh, it all happened this week. Article 50 was triggered. Uh, let's hear the EU Council President Donald Tusk uh, with the uh, response of EU guidelines for the negotiation. Mm, this is. Uh about damage control. Our goal is clear, to minimize the costs for the EU citizens, businesses and and member states. We will do everything in our power and we have all the tools to achieve this, this goal. And what can I add to this? We we already miss you. Thank you and goodbye. Let, let me let me kick off this. Uh, there, there's an editorial which I totally endorse in the Sunday Business Post today, saying our opening negotiating position has been too passive, our unfettered loyalty to Europe has been too apparent, our public voice has been too weak. Stephen Donnelly, I find it absurd and outrageous that 600 years of Anglo-Irish history from geography to climate to treaties to trade to Coronation Street, Man United, speaking the same language, the only two states in the EU that do that, that we now have a situation that three people, a Polish guy Tusk, a Luxembourg guy Juncker and a French Federalist Bernier are going to decide the future of Anglo-Irish relations. I submit to you 
that we should be bold boys, not the best Germans in the class, do a bilateral deal with Britain to cover all our erogenous zones and then present, it's illegal, I know, because we're acting as one of 27, and then present that to Europe as the only way forward. We should be an Anglo advocate for a soft Brexit. What do you say to that? There's three things we need to do. We need to reduce the uncertainty in the negotiations and there are clear things we can do to do that. We need to get much more focused about protecting jobs in Ireland because our own Department of Finance believes a hard Brexit, which is where we're going to, could result in about 40,000 less jobs. And we need to get much more uh, serious and focused about how we protect the North. Part of doing all of those three things is not to negotiate directly with the UK. We can't do that and it would not be in our interests because we would really annoy the other EU26 and we would lose a lot of political capital. Would they back us out though? But, no, well, they wouldn't. They didn't but, put the basket, they can't. Sorry, this is the first time anyone's w- voluntarily withdrawn. No case has ever been made for anyone to be ejected. So if we break the rules and do a deal, which is in our vital national interest to protect what we have and to be the best location for both bets into Europe and so on, while staying in the Euro and doing all those things, could we get away with it? No. no, we couldn't. What we could do, what we can do, though, is a form of that that doesn't uh, act against our interests. If we proceeded as you have described, what would happen is we would rock up to the EU table and say, right, ourselves and the Brits have got together and, and uh, we've made a bilateral okay. agreement. And the EU 26 would say, uh, sorry for I'd you. Like to we told you you couldn't do that. Just what we do <clears throat> do, though, however is we set up formal talks with the UK. There's no formal talks mechanism in place. These are not negotiations. And you'll see from the EU's draft negotiating guidelines, which they published last week, it explicitly says no member state will negotiate directly with the UK. We, We won't do that, but, Ivan, but we will talk to the UK. We will come up with proposed solutions with the UK. And then, as a member of the EU 27, we will bring them to the table on okay. our side of the table. Regina, do you accept my point, which is that it is absurd that Anglo-Irish relations, no. everything from the land board, would be determined and we wouldn't even be in the room? No, actually, it's because of the 800 years of relationships that we've had with our closest partners and your Man United and your Carnation Street that we've had such um, a common interest uh, in providing the where we want to get to at the end of Brexit and the negotiations or sorry discussions that we've had with our EU counterparts over the last couple of months. It's because of the, the conversations that we've had that you see the special mention of the Republic of Ireland by Theresa May um, in her letter this week. It's because of the fact that we want to ensure the best outcome for the United Kingdom that we will be their advocate at the table for the 27 remaining states uh, within the EU to make sure... Have we sure articulated that? Absolutely, of course we have. Have and we you said know what? we are an Anglo advocate? We are an Irish advocate. We are a Republic of Ireland advocate. And that in itself will tell you that our largest trading partner is the United Kingdom. Our most precious agreement between the two countries is obviously the Good Friday Agreement, the Belfast Agreement, and and both of us recognise that, which is why you can see in all of the documentation that's been issued over the last week, it has had a special mention, number one, of the peace process, a special mention for the UK that they do not want the Republic of Ireland to be damaged by uh, by the exit. But by the same token, we certainly don't want the United Kingdom to be damaged. And which is why we will be their voice at the 27. There's absolutely no point in us pulling our toys okay, out of the ground yeah. and this. going off yeah, and okay, doing a conversation okay, with the UK and just the, the, the Council of Europe um, published their draft guidelines for the negotiations two days ago. And in that draft guidelines, it says, and I quote, it's just two lines, it says, after the, uh, the UK leaves the Union, no agreements between the EU and the UK may apply to the territory of Gibraltar without an agreement between the Kingdom of Spain and the Kingdom, uh, the United Kingdom. So Spain has imposed 
its will on whatever thing happens between those two countries. What has Ireland achieved? Nada. We have an ambition. It says the aim will be to protect uh, the situation between Ireland and Britain as, uh, as it uh, deals with the North. Absolutely, yeah. we should have had a memorandum of understanding with Britain from the start identifying clearly so what are the necessary issues that we need to agree on and that should be in the platform. I'll quote from too the passive. negotiations this week. It's not too passive. The Republic of this is quote verbatim. The Republic of Ireland is the only EU member state with a hard border to the United Kingdom. We want to avoid a return to hard borders between our two countries to be able to maintain the common travel area between us to make sure that the UK's withdrawal from the EU does not harm the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. And we have an important responsibility to make sure that nothing is done to jeopardise the okay, peace, peace okay, process in Northern Ireland and to uphold our Belfast agreement. I was in Brussels. I was visiting my old friend uh, Phil Hogan in a private capacity last year. And what struck me was this. The big thing for Germany is the divorce bill, 58 billion. Britain are paying 10 billion a year. There's a huge hole and the French and the Germans don't want to pick up the tab. The Spanish are concerned about independence for Catalonia and the Gibraltar issue. The eastern flank of Europe are concerned about Putin and a security deal with Britain. I put it to you that the Irish concerns are treated like a pimple on the arse of Europe because we're we're only 1% of the EU population. Will we be heard? No, I'm sorry. You you cannot say that on the basis of that. It is distinctly noted in the EU guidelines that were issued this week, a full paragraph with regard to the Republic of Ireland. A full paragraph in Theresa May's letter this week. We are not big players in Europe. That's my point. We're very small players and I, I, I agree with Patter on this. I was dismayed when I read uh, the, the guidelines on Friday because Regina is right we have got words we have got very comforting words and the government mm. is comforted by those words what Spain has a is a veto and there is no comparison no. between us being able to say but you told us you would try and help us and the French and the Germans and all of our friends saying well look you know we tried to but actually when it came down to it we had to impose a hard border uh, the UK wouldn't let free movement of people therefore we had to impose tariffs and that's just the way it's got to be. Nothing is agreed Spain, until everything is agreed. And Spain yeah, and, and we are Spain one of the 27 sitting around the table saying, with a qualified that, majority that, vote. And saying that doesn't nothing work is for us until everything is agreed. It clearly so says it in the guidelines. We don't have a veto. We have a, well it clearly says it in the guidelines that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. Go back to what it says in the guidelines. The union has consistently supported the goal of peace and reconciliation enshrined in the Good Friday Agreement and will continue to support and protect the achievements, benefits and commitments to the peace process. We do not. We wanted the aim of avoiding a hard border whilst respecting the integrity of the union's legal order. But it's written uh, in Ivan, fact. Can I just come back here? Like you can read it out a number of times, Regina. Yeah, it's, because it's, it's there. Here, it's included. The verbs are want and aim. In the other case where Spain has, it's a rock solid cast iron veto. Now, eight years ago, uh, uh, seven years ago, we got stuffed by the very same people, the, the, uh, the Europeans, with regards our national debt uh, and the bank bailout. And, and the bank bailout. Exactly. The priorities were the economies in Germany and France. And those countries consistently make decisions on the basis of the their, of their particular... The can only of, make a deal with the United Kingdom and if they have an agreement. Now, the I, United I, Kingdom just, has the okay, veto. Just, just, just very briefly, just very briefly, okay, just yeah, in, yeah. in Article 50, it states the UK has to make its has to agree and there has to be a qualified majority vote um, uh, in the Council of Europe and Ireland doesn't feature in that qualified majority vote because we're too small. One of the issues that you hear... The are between the 27 and the United Kingdom. One of the issues, uh, Regina, that you hear in the British media is that they don't have the civil servants to do the detailed trade negotiations and revisions. I want to ask you this. Across the government, for example, 
the energy issue, uh, a gas interconnector, uh, an electricity interconnector. Uh, in relation to agriculture, we have an all-island veterinary status for foot and mouth and so on. Uh, in relation to fisheries, in relation, we're going to hear from Michael O'Leary, no doubt, about aviation. Mm-hmm. Is there a working paper which has drilled down into these micro issues that we can present to Europe and say, actually, if you go for a hard Brexit, this is just how disastrous it is for us on the frontier? I have this lovely little piece of uh, paper in front of me that details... It's a one-pager. Albert liked those. It's a one-pager. Yeah, keep it simple for me. It's Sunday morning. We've had 390 engagements with the 27 states and the EU since the, the vote was taken last year. We've Irish 80 embassies around the country, or around the EU, doing exactly what they've been instructed to do, which is to um, represent us at a local level within the EU, but also to look at trade opportunities outside of the EU. My question is slightly of the minutiae the, of the impact okay, of I'm this change. We've had 14 memos to Cabinet since last June on this particular issue alone. We've had 17 Cabinet committee meetings on Brexit. We've six cr- cross-department work um, groups. We've had 16 All-Ireland uh, meetings on Brexit in the last four months alone. The, you know what, the, the opposition would love to tell you that we have done nothing with regard to this. Well, well Stephen, you see, the proof will be in the pudding. The proof will be in the pudding when you, we actually get where we okay. want to arrive you're to in the number of Brexit. There is no minister for yeah. Brexit as such. Do you support that? And are you confident? Because a lot of this comes down to the minutiae. You know what I mean? If you it go does. for labelling and barcoding and all these kind of things, these are huge issues. And I've chaired a lot of conferences uh, in relation to Brexit and business people out there whose livelihood is dependent on this need detailed information. And they need a vision. And I just want to respond to Regina's point. Yes, there is a list of meetings. There's been lots of meetings. There have been lots of memos. There's been regional meetings. There's been bilaterals. There's been all that sort of stuff. Now, here's what people listening to the show want to know. If I am selling timber into the UK, if I'm driving a truck of milk from Donegal to Derry and back again. If I want to go and work in London for four years, when I want to do these things, be they with my business or my job or my travel or whatever it is, has the government got a clear view on what success for those things would be? And in spite of the meetings and the memos and the speeches, the answer to that is no. That's not true. It is no. Now, here's what we need to do, right? We need not just to secure the common travel area, but we need to secure a piece of it which isn't fully understood in Brussels, which is the common travel area is not just about all of us being able to go back and forth to the UK. It's about full reciprocity of rights. It's a unique relationship that the UK and Ireland has. I lived in London. When I lived in London, I was able to vote in UK elections. Other nationalities can't do that. Anyone from Ireland and vice versa can move and travel and have exactly the same rights as they have in the UK. Um, Will that be the case post-negotiations? We don't know. Um, if you are driving a truck of milk or exporting food to and from the UK, I remember what animals were dizzy going back and forth to the border the with MCAs. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Just like um, Regina's right to a certain extent, Ireland does soft power well in good times. This is very useful to influence. But when our soft power comes into contact with the real politique of German and French needs in these crisis situations, it gets absolutely crushed. And what we need to be setting out, for example, the dull. The, the, the Parliament of the 26 counties stated that the government should be seeking special designation uh, for the north of Ireland within the EU. Uh, Stephen's party, my own party, voted for that. But yet the government has, has yet to do anything to try to achieve that whatsoever. The even, negotiations haven't e- e- started. Even, even though oh, you ha- know what? It, this is ridiculous. Even though it hasn't. It even, really is Even ridiculous. though it has a mandate to do that. And secondly, the, the key issues we need to do, we, we need to push 
the border of the EU into the Irish Sea for a start. And also around the customs union, there's actually opportunity for, because Britain have left the door open. They want to leave the customs union, but they said they would re- maybe renegotiate another type of the customs union. The final point union. on Brexit I want to put to you is this. Okay. Um, story in today's Sunday Times, RSA, the big insurance giant, rejects Dublin for a new EU base. This is the third insurance company after Lloyd's and AIG. Are you concerned that you know, this game of people exiting the UK to have an EU base, we're actually losing out here, Regina. Well, have we got our act together? No, of course we have. And actually, just because one or two people have chosen to go somewhere else doesn't mean that the wealth of people are not looking at Ireland as a very viable alternative. And when we start winning, then you'll see that some of the optimism around some of the gains that we can have in Brexit, uh, particularly in our financial services sector and fintech, um, w- will become apparent to people. Can I come back to the, the doom and gloom that the two gentlemen here sitting to my right have, have outlaid? We know clearly what we want. We have sat down and we're blue in the face, but we'll say it again. We want to ensure that the economic ties that the European Union and particularly Ireland has with the United Kingdom are remained and enhanced. We want to ensure that our common travel area stays put um, and all of our people have the freedom of movement that we've enjoyed for donkey's years with the United Kingdom stays in place. We want to ensure that the peace process that has been fought and guarded by many people in this country is, is kept in place. Um, and we have to obviously ensure the future of the European Union. There was a very good article written today by Michael, or Michael McDowell about what kind of an EU we have to have at the end of this. Do you, do you the think, boys want answers today for stuff you, that we haven't started negotiating. No, on. we want to, the terms we, of we reference want, have been we want established. Goals we know today. firmly yes, what our aims do. are. We know firmly what we want to achieve at the end of this process. But the boys want answers today no. for stuff that we haven't even started negotiating. The train's already on. left the station. The, no, it the, hasn't. The, Europe has already no, decided it upon hasn't. its guidelines. Okay, it's already been. Can I ask? I need to take a break. I need to take a break. You're listening to Yates on Sunday. We're talking to Regina Doherty, Stephen Donnelly and Patter Tobin. Yes, and as this is the first Yates on Sunday, I'd like to warmly welcome our sponsor, SSE Electricity Business Energy, the sponsor of the show. Of course, we don't have 160 million of a licence fee uh, to help us, so we need sponsors. But we're now joined by uh, Richie McCormick uh, of the Off The Ball team. You've been looking, Richie, at today's Sunday papers, the sports supplements. What caught your eye? Uh, there's lots and lots of Masters previews knocking around, but I don't think there's any better than uh, Paul Kimmage's in the Sunday Independent because he's basically done an oral history of the Irish involvement in the Masters in Augusta. And as he points out in his opening paragraph, more people from an Irish perspective have climbed Everest than have competed around Augusta. And there's only 14 golfers uh, ahead of this week from an Irish perspective have, have competed at Augusta. The first of which was in course Joe Carr back in 1967. So he pulls a few quotes from him via the great would Dermot Would you Galise. care, Richie? Absolutely would care. It's a huge thing. It, it's one of these things that even Dermot Galise, who's a veteran of golf for God knows how many years, uh, says it still makes him quite emotional to visit there. And David Ferherty, who competed there in the 90s, he says of his first appearance there, he says, like most people, I was shocked when I first saw the course. Television didn't prepare me for those dramatic images of elevation and the wide open spaces. I remember walking out there thinking, this is surreal. It's like a Dali picture. Everybody, when they go there first, is taken aback from it. And it's a really huge thing from a sporting and from a special... Yeah, Amen Corner is sensational that last Sunday night. Um, anything else catch your eye? Uh, there's lots and lots of reaction, obviously, to a great weekend, a great day for our sides in rugby. Uh, Leinster uh, beating Wasps in the game we had live and off the ball yesterday, 32-17. And Munster's fantastic win as well over Toulouse down at Thomond Park. Uh, we'll have Gavin Comiskey reflect on that and we'll have two live games as well. And today's off the ball. Swansea Middles were first up at half one and then four o'clock. I think the you'll match. Have a, I think you'll have a slight interest in this. Oh, Pep. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a Man City fanatic and uh, I'm very hopeful that the, hopeful, the Emirates, yeah. they're, they're going to win 3-1. 3-1, uh, well, well, they, they always concede a goal these days. They will do, yeah. The defence is pretty leaky, but um, Arsenal, from their perspective, several points off now, the top four, they desperately need to win if there's going to be Champions League.
Champions League football back at the Emirates next season and it doesn't look likely Richie McCormick thank you um, if you're a sports nut like me st- stay tuned from 12.30 onwards sport all the way now we re- 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 returning to our panel uh, we have uh, Regina Doherty uh, Stephen Donnelly and Padre Tobin here in the last hour Sinn Féin President Gerry Adams has done an interview on Sky News here he is in conversation with Sky Ireland's correspondent uh, Sky Ireland correspondent David Blevins Jerry, you talk about those mechanisms perhaps for truth and reconciliation. Six months ago, Martin McGuinness told me if those mechanisms existed, he was quite prepared to talk about his past. If they existed, would Jerry Adams find it easier to talk about his past and his long alleged involvement in the IRA? Yes, I, I have said, and Martin and I said this together, and we've said it quite a few times, that we would both do our best and we would also encourage other Republicans to come forward if there was a satisfactory arrangement put in place, and that's my, <coughs> that's my uh, commitment. Uh, Martin's not here, uh, but that's still my commitment. Is that, Padre Tobin, a tacit acknowledgement, admission, that he has a past to reveal? Well, everybody has a past. There's no doubt about well, that. What a violent past. Um, and Jerry Adams has stated many times that he uh, was a Republican leader during the war. Um, he, has, uh, he led a party at the time that gave support to the IRA. Uh, he carried the coffins of uh, IRA volunteers. Uh, so he doesn't shy away from uh, his role. Well, he does, really. No, no, he doesn't shy away from his role in uh, the, the troubles in the North, or for that matter, for his efforts with regards to the peace process or reconciliation and, uh, and that matter. And I think, you know, sometimes this debate gets uh, focused around Jerry Adams, when in actual fact, many of the, of the victims who we actually represent as well, they want a truth and reconciliation process. And believe it or not, after but uh, 15 years of looking for this truth and reconciliation process, only one group are against it, and that's the British government. And what Jerry is, is clearly saying there, for us to get to would the Would it truth, be easier to go before a truth commission if he was no longer president of Sinn Féin? Well, I think it would be easy to go, for, uh, to go in front of a truth and reconciliation process if there was one there. And if all the... Uh, that wasn't all, my question. If all the combatants uh, of uh, that... Would it be easier if he wasn't president? Well... First of all, I don't think Jerry would shy away from the challenge that would, if there was a truth and reconciliation there, he's saying very clearly he will participate and he will encourage okay. other Regina, Republicans to do it. Regina, do you buy it. that? First of all, can I just say, and it's a pity um, because we get the same mantra from every single member of Sinn Féin that it just repeats what Jerry Adams has been telling us repeatedly. You've just said that Jerry Adams doesn't shy away from his role within the Troubles, yet he has repeatedly told people um, that he was not in the IRA. Um, What's actually very welcome is to hear what he said this morning is is that he answered clearly that yes, um, he would discuss his long alleged involvement in the IRA and he would encourage other Republicans to do that. Do you think that's the first time he said that in those terms? Well, I think I've heard him say it before, right? And actually, I think it's really encouraging, particularly after the passing of Martin, that he will carry on the openness that Martin obviously has displayed over the last number of years. But it will only work, and Jerry is very right when he says this, if the British government actually concede to do exactly the same thing. There were obviously issues on both sides of this particular um, war and unless both sides sit down with the genuine openness and honesty to reflect on the hurt that was caused over the last 30, 40 years, um, there's no point in doing it. Stephen? I think it's interesting that Sinn Féin are jumping up and down screaming of emotions and no confidence in uh, Noreen, o- Noreen O'Sullivan when their leader has just admitted that he would he would take part in the truth and reconciliation uh, process. The the only focus as to whether or not we should have one of these is whether or not it would help the victims and whether or not it would help the communities that were involved. Uh, we saw a similar one in South Africa post-apartheid. It seems to have worked very well. 
we'd have to look carefully at the model that would be used. But the only guiding principle for whether or not there should be one mm. um, and how it would be conducted is would it help and how could you maximise okay, the help I don't to the, want to get to the because we've only three minutes left I want to go to an entirely different thing um, I can't let the opportunity pass Regina um, my submission is that new politics is a total disaster it's a it's a, a recipe for paralysis you really don't uh, like no, new no, politics no no, no the, the, point, the point about it is that this is the worst doll and weakest government in my opinion I've seen in 40 years um, there's going to be perhaps a change with a general election and the offing a new leader for Fine Gael. is it true you're supporting Leo Varadkar? Where did you hear that? Oh I heard it from <laughs> a few I people who, I heard I, it from a few people I'm currently supporting my current leader who is still I understand the that. of this I, I've seen you said, they, um, said that that wasn't the question I asked you no, I asked you well, when the contest arrives have you made up your mind who you're yet, supporting? No but when I do make up my mind I'll let you know Okay. The, the, the same point, though, do, do you not, you take something like water, you take the bus strike and so on, Stephen. It looks like every vested interest. And, you know, it, there's no, people in politics now, it's a race to the bottom of telling people what they want to hear rather than what they need to know. I think the advent of social media has certainly dialed up the the instincts for populism. There's there's no question about that. Although it's interesting... And short-termism. They're not thinking beyond the vote of next Wednesday. Well, it's interesting you mentioned water, though, because the last doll was the biggest majority in the history of the state. So that certainly was not new politics. That was the old politics that you're very comfortable with. And that's the doll where Phil Hogan walked in, shut down any parliamentary debate on water, rammed through legislation which would never have passed through the current doll because other voices are represented. Mm. So is there as much uh, strength in government? No, there's not. There are some disadvantages to that. However, what it also means is that the very heavy-handed approach on issues like water that happened with this big majority now don't happen. So it's it swings and roundabouts. I, I don't Last think word they, to you. I don't think the government have learned new politics. To, in, in other countries where there's minority governments, what they... what. Uh, parties often do is they come in and try to build majorities for votes before they happen but nobody like there isn't that process yet in the states like uh, the Republicans will go to the Democrats and they'll talk to particular individuals and say will you support this particular piece of, of legislation and that's not happening but the slow motion leadership battle within Fine Gael is affecting the inertia of this government in a radical sense and that's one Final of the reasons word. why we're having this crisis Final at the moment. Word. First of all I'd say consensus and cooperation will always trump a majority government and second of all Padre we have been negotiating with people since last May. Your policies are so far removed from us it's probably a waste of time to negotiate <laughs> with Alright, my thanks to the <coughs> Fine Gael Chief Whip Regina Doherty Stephen Donnelly, Fianna Fáil Spokesperson on Brexit and Sinn Féin Spokesman on Regional Development Rural Affairs, Arts and the Gaeltacht Padre Tobin.